This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is good, but on an, a slightly different way. And I know, I think it, when this came out, people were a bit like, it's not as good as Gino. It's like, it's just different. It's just like a different kind of vibe that they went for. So yeah, I enjoyed enjoyed watching it again. I hate to agree with Sean. I want to find something to disagree with Sean. But yeah, I'd find it really difficult to stop watching it once the characters are drawn me in, because that's what Diablo Cody is really good at when she's given the space to breathe and really help her characters grow when they're not sort of bogged down by narrative then yeah that's when she's at her best and yeah i'd go with a five on this hey welcome to this episode of flex watcher podcast today we're joined by sean hello and Ali, and helen hello and we're going to be talking about young adults Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Sean and Andy. Over to you please, Andy, to tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. So I'm Andy Williams. I do a weekly podcast with Sean, who is also here. We do Frame to Frame every week. We take two seemingly unconnected films and slam them together with the most obscure theme we can find. So delighted to be on. So thank you very much for for getting me on. No worries at all. What's your most obscure linking theme do you think that you've come up with i think that we're kind of going for the good and the bad in the same episode so we've had foliage in films before and which was where we did the secret garden and mm-hmm. the happening so nice. sean expected me to love one of them and hate the other and without going too much into it it was the other way around <laughs> we did sing in cockroaches in movies before as okay, well yeah. to joe's apartment and cats i mean we've done 150 something odd episodes with different themes each time. Sorry, was the Joe's Apartment and Cats malarkey? You've not seen Joe's Apartment, the classic singing cockroach oh, film? <laughs> oh no, I feel I'm going to be outnumbered here. It's an MTV movie from the 90s. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. yeah. Andy, you found your Joe's Apartment soulmate finally after like three years. Between Joe's Apartment and Bruce Springsteen, then I, I should be co hosting the podcast with you, Helen. It's a connection, isn't it? Yeah, Joe's Apartment, the singing cockroach film. And yeah, of course, we've done Cats, not done Joe's Apartment, because I. I Outside of me having it on VHS, I've never seen it anywhere else. 
Me either. I recorded it off like the TV when I was a kid and I just watched it again and again and again and again and I hadn't watched it for years until I saw the singing cockroaches and cats. I then thought that's a frame to frame theme. We have to do that. And then you kind of dusted it off like the Ark of the Covenant in Razor Lost Saga. Here you go. It'll just melt your face <laughs> off in the awesomeness. I was just like, what the heck is this? <laughs> it's of its time. Well, I, it was it. <laughs> I don't think it was good then. For the three people who watched it. Yes, it was great. <laughs> We've had another voice. Who are you, sir, in my bottom right-hand corner? Hello, I'm Sean. Sean Wilson, the other half of Frames Frame, and I am an author, journalist and podcaster with the likes of Cineworld and other outlets. So, uh, hey, everyone, thanks for having us on. No worries. Your choice of film today, which is a young adult, can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it? And I'll get the timer ready for your 60-second synopsis. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> As someone that edits Sean's plot synopses <laughs> on a regular basis, Good luck. <laughs> Well, it's bound by the timer. Once a bell rings, he's got to stop. So yeah, yeah. Okay. there's no editing there. Yeah. It's, like, it's like gladiators or something, or is it a game show? <laughs> so why did you choose it? So, well, let's get straight into it. I think it's Charlie's Theron's best performance. And I know that might be a hot take, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, have you seen Mad Max Fury Road? Or I haven't. I, did. I still... <laughs> Or, or monster. Almost, yeah, I, I still think it's her or best bombshell. performance. And I, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking of, bombshell. But carry on, Sean. Yeah, I'm not going to let that do right on me. <laughs> All these great films being thrown at me, no, it's a good deflection tactic. I think that she is a marvellous collaborator with Jason Reitman, and I do think this might be Jason Reitman's finest film as well, and it's a script by Diablo Cody. And then obviously her and Jason Reitman worked together on Gino, which, which was terrific as well. But I just love how uncompromisingly bitter and honest this film is and I think it says something that for an actor of Charlize Theron's A-list calibre to really get under the skin of something with someone so prickly and emotionally damaged and just flat out unlikable I'm full of admiration for famous A-listers who aren't afraid of kind of playing with their screen image like this and I think she does it really, really well. And she's flanked by a you know, terrific supporting cast. And well, you get into you get into our discussion. I, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually pretty. <laughs> yeah. Let's get a synopsis. Your timer starts now. So we're introduced to Charlize Theron's character, Mavis Gary, who is washed up, 37 years old, divorced, appears to be suffering some kind of emotional arrested development, living in Minneapolis. We find out that she is a writer, but in her mind, well. She's basically an alleged author of a series of YA young adult books, which obviously ties into the title of the movie. But in fact, she's actually the ghostwriter. And then she finds out that her ex-high school sweetheart is having a baby back in her hometown, fictional hometown of Mercury, Minnesota. And she basically goes back to win him back and disrupt his life of new fatherhoods and his new marriage. And along the way, she has to reconcile with her own personal demons and there are a lot of skeletons in the closet and chaos ensues. <laughs> Andy, you're shaking your head when Sean suggested Jason Reitman's best film and also doubled down when he said Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody's best film as a duo. So what do you think of this film and, and what else are you offering as an alternative for these films? It kind of ties into my initial relationship with Young Adult anyway. So I watched Juno when it first came out. I was like very, very early on the Juno bandwagon to the extent that I Did was you have a megaphone telling everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I was telling everyone, this thing should win Oscars. This is the greatest film I've ever seen. I was 16 and just getting into film studies. So I was, I was literally going into my school saying, 
to anyone that would listen, you need to watch Juno. I can practically hear you saying that, by the way. I can hear it in my head. <laughs> yeah, I've got resoundingly ignored, but anyway. And so that film has a very special place for me. And as a result of that, because I loved Juno so much, I went into Young Adult with sort of initially, when I first watched it, when it first came out, very, very sort of trepidatious and worried. And then it had the thing that, again, when Young Adult came out, I was 20. So I kind of went, you know what? If you've got a struggling writer as the main protagonist in your story, then it's lazy writing. And I just took against it from that point and just decided I didn't like it and kind of switched off from there onwards. So going back to it for this episode... I'm glad to have revisited it, but I would actually absolutely offer the, the the greatest collaboration between Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman is Juno. Fair enough. Helen, Diablo Cody, Jason Reitman, and or this film, and or Charles Thron, and or any other character in this film. So I would say that I would probably think this is the best Charlie's Thron performance as well. I think she was she won the Oscar for Monster, but she's so good in this. Like it's the depth to go to make yourself that unlikable and pull it off in the way that she does, that she is a completely horrible person, but you do feel really sorry for her because she's obviously having some kind of mental breakdown. And I think there's just like so many moments in it that are completely cringe inducing, but also incredible, relatable, like the whole thing around the teenage fan club song and kind of her face when she's listening to it and then how crushed she is when she kind of hears it played at at the band night. Those like two moments are depressingly kind of familiar if you've ever been in kind of the strange sort of place that she is, which I guess maybe not everyone, but you know, if you've ever had kind of like a tough time in life, then there's kind of a few things that kind of go... I kind of, I feel some of the stuff in there and it's also really, really funny, but not in kind of like a good way, which I really, really like about it. I liked, you know, I feel that maybe I've seen it too many There's times. There's no such thing. There is no such thing as too many times. That's more your own fault. <laughs> I don't know. I do like Juno. I think it's good. I also think this is good, but on a, a slightly different way. And I know, I think it when this came out, people were a bit like, it's not as good as Juno. It's like, it's just different. It's just like a different kind of vibe that they went for. So yeah, I enjoyed, enjoyed watching it again. And like that funny little dog she has, and she's like trying to hide it when she checks in. And they're like, if you've got a pet, then you, you just have to say and pay. And she's like, I don't have a pet. That's just, I just love characters like that because they're so weird (laughs) the sheer withering contempt that Charlize Theron has in her eyes in this movie the way she acts with her eyes is just so compelling I mean just if looks could shrivel people up I mean it's just she's so dyspeptic and so venomous but I think for me what really stood out watching it again this time around bearing in mind the first time I saw this I must be about 25 26 when it came out in this country in 2012 I'm now near the age that Charlize Theron is in the movie I'm 36 she's 37 in the moment and and I'd forgotten about the sympathetic angle that comes out the fact that there is context there is reason for why she behaves like this and I think the first time around I think I'd glossed over that in favor of it just being quite a nasty dark comedy but now I can see the more emotional empathetic undercurrents as to what leads people to having this kind of toxic baggage and I think the film does a very good job particularly during that climactic 
sort of meltdown sequence on the lawn during like the baby, um, you know, the, the baby party sequence where it's like, oof, it's brilliantly acted. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Really. I want to so shout out Pat Oswald for that as well. I was going to say, yeah. Because I didn't know he had this performance in him. He's really, really sympathetic and I kind of expect comedy out of him, but I didn't expect the kind of longing that he gives in this film. And I, I just thought he was fantastic. I mean, you sound surprised and we have time and time again, comedic performers turning fantastic, dramatic actors. Like Bob Odenkirk, for example, is probably one of the most classic recent versions of that. Uh, Patton Oswalt was probably one of the earlier people who, I guess, is less recognisable in the UK, Patton Oswalt, but I think his stand-up's fantastic. I think he's a great person. He's had immense personal tragedy in the in the past kind of decade. And then this, he's amazing. And his story is what his story in this film, his character in this film, is wholly tragic. It's just, I couldn't remember his full background before rewatching it this time. But it's such a... He was a victim of a hate crime, unnecessarily so. Not that any hate crime is necessary. And his whole life was damaged as a result of that. And here he is trying to buy up this character uh, played by Charlize Theron, who's in some ways more damaged than he is. And for the majority of the film, you don't know why she you just thinks she's acting out and she's kind of trying to really rekindle a long list love. But then you do find that when you do find out there is a core to that, whether it's acceptable or not, does level this film up way above where you kind of think it's going from, you know, when you first start watching it. And I think it's fantastic. So those two as a duo on this is, is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is in the film, it's kind of like they almost, Pat Oswalt and Charlie Theron's characters almost become weirdly kind of like bonded to each other through trauma and through grief. I think the difference is in his own way, he's almost kind of psychologically show, he's kind of dealt with it and kind of put it in its place. Whereas she's kind of living it self-indulgently and toxically. And he's kind of like, you know, you're just the same as you were in high school. You know, you had a reputation in high school and you've come back and you've making all these blase comments about the town and about the people in it and you've come back to like disrupt the marriage and the you know parental status of your high school ex it's like you know you should have dealt with all this already and then you find out that there's history with the with the ex-boyfriend with Patrick Wilson character and Charlie Theron's character Mavis feels like she's basically been left out in the cold unfairly owing to the fact that spoiler alert they were once going to have a child and then that that mm-hmm. detail I'd actually forgotten about that and I think yeah. that helps ground Charlize Theron's character brilliantly. I think that's where for me the years have been kind to the movie or more specifically me growing up has, has been <laughs> has, has helped the film an awful lot because I was really affected by the time we got to that scene at the end that the naming ceremony I was really affected by that in a way that I really wasn't expecting out of the, the film having seen it 10 odd years ago I was just sort of like mm, you know it, it, I'm it, fine. Sean's chosen it, so I'll, I'll watch it. But it, it really pulled me in, and I was really, really impressed. I'm used to that. <laughs> I, I like absolutely missed on it the first time. What do you guys make about the kind of the premise of it? Wasn't a high school reunion? Was it a high school reunion? This? No, it's just it's just baby shower and baby naming. She gets the invite. Yeah, yeah. But is that often? Often this conceit is there's a high school reunion, guys. Let's get the band back together. Let's get back to where we were, and show off a bit some people there to show off what they're doing now versus what they, where they were now some people trying to relive their former glories ultimately it's a very american type of film though we don't really see this in the uk or elsewhere or maybe canada <laughs> thankfully I, I could you imagine going to a, a high school reunion or a university re- nah you're okay 
Yeah. <laughs> and the, the crushing thing about the invite is that it, it comes from his wife. It doesn't even come from him. And it's all, they're all just kind of feeling sorry for her and trying to reconnect and try and like help her and be there for her. And she just crushes them all completely because she's just so much in her world and in whatever she is that she's trying to deal with. I do think there is a case of the shoe being on the other foot as well, because this is easy to say in hindsight when you realise that Mavis is, is as much of a victim as everybody else. But when she goes to see the group made up of you know the wife and the other single mothers, they're just as sneery towards her. You know, they cast judgment as well. So everyone is in their own way is kind of petty in dealing with all this sort of rather pathetic high school trauma, very tragic and pathetic I think they're all in their own way. It's a very, very interesting comment on human fallibility and how we don't, you know, those skeletons in the closet threaten to fall out at any, at any moment, particularly in high-strung situations like this. And, yeah, the, the revelation about the wife being, in many ways, the wife being the most sympathetic character and she's kind of on the margins and it's like, oh, yeah, that, you know, in, it sort of emboldens the tragedy of Charlize Theron's character, I think. Helen, can you remember where we've seen The Wife before? What film we've reviewed that had, what's the name, uh, in it? I don't, but I kind of want to, no, tell me. It was the first Twilight film. Who is she in that? She's one of the Cullens, she's the, she's, isn't she? She's one of the, the yeah, vampires. She's the, she's the, yeah, she's the paternal Cullen. She's the maternal Cullen. I mean, that episode yeah. was a long time ago. I don't remember it that. Was, it was a while ago. It was a lot of time. time <laughs> Welcome to the club. She's got one of those faces that I felt like I'd seen in loads of films. I mean, I probably have. That's what Patrick Wilson was for me for years. He was just that guy from that movie. Because he's just brilliant in everything. And now he's the man from The Conjuring. Well, less said about those, the better. <laughs> Hard candy? Oh, yeah. Hard candy's amazing. <laughs> wow. Hard candy's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Talk about Juno there. You see, it all circled round. It all comes back together. You see, guys? No, I just, I, these films kind of fascinate me because I just don't think, do people have the kind of drive to leave their hometown? I mean, Helen, you've left Stokey area. Where is it? Where are you from? Burton. The first time I saw this, I had to return to Burton for work and kind of like personal life reasons. And I, it was quite stressful watching it the second time around because all those kind of feelings about her hating the town and how shit place it is and they were all kind of like stuck behind living shitty lives I was very much like maybe this is on to something here I kind of like agree with her so that's part of it I still feel a little bit like that when I, I go back I don't go back home and go oh I, I want to move back I, I love it I'm very much feeling a little bit suffocated when I go back it's a nice place but it's not for me but do people have that urge to leave their small towns as much as we, we're led to believe in, in US films yeah yeah. I would say yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you thought <laughs> it's <laughs> So Claw your way out. Save me. Sean and I were talking on the weekend about my love of Bruce Springsteen, sort of where that comes from. And I said that it's something in the music that is very much like, I'm in this small town, I'm in this seaside town, and I want to get out and I want to explore what the rest of everything is. And it's, it's pure Americana, but I sort of gravitate towards that because... I grew up in a small seaside town and I wanted to leave and I left at 18 and never really went back. So I think it is as prevalent over here as, as it is in America. It's just we have fewer places to go. Or we can't quite go as far as they do. Yeah. Without having to learn another <laughs> language. Can come back still. Can just, get, just jump on a train. Take, just, just, <laughs> if you've got a spare £400, sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say, guys, before we head to the scores? No? Well, let's head to the scores. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five and you can have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with recommendability, please, with you, Sean. Oh, recommendability. It is quite a dark film. I'd give it a four, I think. I'd hesitate giving unequivocally a five because I think a lot of people would probably find it quite quite challenging. Sure, Andy. I completely agree with Sean, which is not something I say often on any podcast, but I thought I had the exact same reasoning. <laughs> I want that on a plaque. <laughs> it's a Flix Watcher exclusive. <laughs> Helen. Uh, so I'm going to give it 4.2 for the kind of the same reasons that it is quite a complex film and there's lots of comedy moments, but it is quite dark in that sense. So I think, I guess if you you have to kind of maybe watch a, a couple of his films before to get a vibe of what it might be like in that it is kind of funny, but often the subject matter is can be a bit confrontational and a bit sort of oh I'm not sure whether I want to be dealing with that but yeah I mean just for her performance alone I think it's definitely worth watching if you haven't already yeah I'm gonna go for four as well I think it's an understated film certainly and I think you should watch it again this is the second time I watched it quite a big gap between doing so and I think that kind of works well I think we'll time it with my repeat viewing score because I think it's nice to rediscover the bits of the films on subsequent viewings because I think it, well the way it played for me where I was, you, you're not on her side at all and then like oh I get it but you're still like you're not very nice <laughs> I think that's a nice way to, to discover and rediscover and keep on rediscovering the film so yeah for repeat viewing score Sean mm. well bearing in mind this is the second time I've watched it and it went up in my estimation I'll probably give that like a 4.5 because I think I might get more out of it again if I was to watch it a third or a fourth time Andy? I'd go with a three. I'm not sure I'm in a huge rush to watch it again because of its its dyspeptic humour, but that's never say never. I'm more likely to watch it again than not. That's why I go for the, the solid three. Helen? Yes, I saw this when it came out at the cinema. I don't think I've seen it since then. So I I was looking forward to, to re-watching how much I'm going to watch after that. I'm not sure. Um, so it is only one hour, 34 minutes though. So it's it's pretty short. So a three. Yeah, I think it's worth watching, like I say, every few years. I'm not going to watch it frequently, but definitely worth doing so. So that's a three. And at this break, sorry, I've, just been, I've been doing some Googling a bit to look at Jason Reitman's other films. He's got some really cool just films in here, hasn't he? Up in the Air is one of his, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Up in the Air, which I really enjoyed. I've only seen it once when Thank it first came out. Thank you smoking as well. Yeah, Whiplash is a favourite of mine. I've only, again, only watched once. But no, he, sorry, he was just the exec on he that. He produced that one. Yeah. That was Damien Chazelle. Yeah, I love Tully as well. Mm, another Charlie's the wrong really winner. Good. He's brilliant in that. Yeah, really good. And Mackenzie Davis as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then we got Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I split a lot of people, but I quite enjoyed Walking in Daddy's footsteps, wasn't it? It's, it's embracing the whole, the, the Ivan Reitman connection. 
<laughs> the Reitman, the Reitman legacy. The Reitman dynasty. <laughs> yeah, so I think he's definitely, I haven't seen Jennifer's body. I haven't seen Jeff Lives at Home. So I think he seems like, I think he's gotten that, he's, he's an easy, he makes films which were easy to watch with a bit of an edge. You know, like Juno, for example, wasn't, was real social commentary there and had interesting things to tell. Men, women and, and children was hard to go through. That would have scored very, very low on the... Uh... Was, that, was that the one with Adam Sandler in <laughs> it? Yeah. I don't know if I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I'll stick up for Jennifer's Body, Diablo Cody script, and I think that got messed around with by the studio, but I think Jennifer's Body is a really interesting film with a lot of great ideas in it, even if it's a bit muddy and a bit messy. I, I don't think he directed that, though. I think he produced that one. Karen Kasama, I think, directed that, if I want to say, but yeah. I'll bow to you on that one. Yeah, I wonder if it's uh, Diablo Cody who's the bigger... Well, how much of a draw she's in this, because she's got some amazing films as well. We can go down a long list of things here, but but we're saying watch his films. They're great, generally. (laughs) Small screen score, Sean. Mm. Small screen score. So I'm going to stick in the kind of three and a half realm. I mean, I think there was something to watching this on the cinema screen from what I remember, although it was a while ago. There was something about the magnitude of Charlize Theron's character being blown up in like big, either anamorphic or non-anamorphic widescreen. I think that is a bit reduced watching it at home, I think, although it does enhance the claustrophobia of it. So I'm going to say three and a half on that. Andy? Was I not supposed to have watched it on my Apple Watch? Was I so- <laughs> <laughs> By small screen, we do mean TV, aka not in the cinema. Oh. You can go smaller if you want, but it's, it's your grave you're digging. Well, that's how yeah, I watch. I mean, not in the cinema. That's how I watch everything from Netflix because Martin Scorsese told me to. No, I'll <laughs> clarify. I watched it on the TV. So I'd give it a four. I don't think it really relies on the cinematic experience. I think it's kind of the the type of film that the thing that you connect with most, the thing that I connect with most, was the writing. So the fact it doesn't need showy direction. It's not Mad Max Fury Road. It doesn't need something. To, to really draw you in visually because what it does is draw you in with its characters. So I think it, it serves quite well being on a, a TV screen. So I'd go with a four. Okay. Helen. Yeah. I mean, you know, I watched this in the cinema at two o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon in Burton Cineworld. And I can't really say it was a particularly life-changing cinema experience. So I, th- I think it's fine to kind of watch at home. So I'm going to give it a five for small screen. Yeah. I'm going five for small screen as well. Yeah. I think it's perfect for that. Engagement score though, Sean. Mm, I was fully engaged with it. I'm going to give it a five on that. I just thought that it's a really interesting, provocative film. I would say that the whole thing about her being a writer, weighing up her choices with people who aren't writers, but who've also her, the people that she's had who've broken out in other areas, like starting families versus her being a writer. I thought that's because because as a writer myself, I thought that was very interesting. So I thought that enhanced the engagement for me. So yeah, five. I hate to agree with Sean. I want to find something to disagree with Sean on. But yeah, I'd find it really difficult to stop watching it once the characters are drawn me in because that's what Diablo Cody is really good at when she's given the space to breathe and really help her characters grow. When they're not sort of bogged down by narrative, then yeah, that's when she's at her best. And yeah, I'd go with a five on this. Yeah, it's kind of like that kind of like car crash. You don't want to look because everything's so like awful and you're just like, oh my God, what's going to go next? Like, I can't believe she's saying it, but it's also really, really delicious to watch. So I'm going to give it a 4.7 because it's just, it just really does kind of suck you in and you're like, how low can it all go? Where is bottom for her? And yeah, she, I think she, she hits it. <laughs> so what, you're five as well? I'm going 4.7. It's also like, it's not, told backwards or anything like that so you don't need like 
five coffees to understand it or anything. Yeah, I'm going to go for 4.5. I think that benefits from me not having seen it for you know at least 10 years. So that gives an overall score of 4.15000, which is decent, which is high, which is uh, fantastic. Let down slightly, if anything, by its repeat viewing score. So Andy and Sean, can you tell us where we can find Frame to Frame podcasts online? Apart from obviously typing in Frame to Frame podcasts in the, in the app you're listening to right yeah. now. Tell us a bit more where we can find online and a bit more about what you do and say goodbye to the listeners. So we are a part of a podcasting network called the We Made This Network. So you can go on wemadethisnetwork.com and you can find all of the podcasts within the network of which we are one. Again, you can go on whatever podcast feed you're listening to this and type in frame to frame, you'll see us there. And we're pretty much on social media everywhere, whether that be threads, X, if you want to call it X, Instagram, whatever. We're pretty much everywhere is at frame to frame pod. <laughs> we don't want to call it X, by the way. Just to make that clear. Yes, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's still weird for me, but you kind of got to go with the flow sometimes. Awesome. Anything else you want to add to that, Andy? Or just want to start with the goodbyes? There's also, because I know he won't mention it himself, Sean wrote a book on the, the sound of cinema, so the history of film music. So do go and check that out because he won't say it himself, but it is a genuinely, what he manages to do is tell a story that could be quite complex and quite wordy in a really reader-friendly way. So go and check that now. Sound of Cinema, guys. Go to your favourite online bookstore or real-life bookstore and get that now. Well, thanks very much, guys. It's been a pleasure for me to revisit Young Adult and hopefully for you guys listening as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them FlixWatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.